and girls, we are back with another tremendous, exhilarating, orgasmic, some might say, episode of My Thai Happy Hour. I used to be able to hold that so much longer, um, but you know, I get old and I no longer can like hold my Axl Rose at the end of uh, Civil War key. I don't actually know which song he holds it at the very end, but you know, I'm sure he does. Do you think he can still do it? I don't think he can. I think he actually is wised up to that and he's... Uh, so, Guns N' Roses have been releasing stuff on their YouTube channel during COVID and they just released uh, about a half hour of their download festival and God, I've been watching that. Between that and listening to the remix of the Apollo show, like, I mean, the guy's got it. Yeah, he's like an octave lower, but like... But everyone is at this age. Yeah, but he can still switch between the voices. Even though they're a little bit lower, he can still do that thing where he has like 50 voices at the same time. That weird, weird thing he does that very few people can do. I think the only people who still got it at whatever octave is like Mike Patton and King Diamond, but you know that's partially because of a pack with Satan. So yeah, you know. the Mike Patton, Mike Patton is up there. Someone else recently did a list. I don't remember who it was of people who have that weird like twenty octave range. I, I'm, I'm making that up. I don't know what the range is, but people who can hit that weird like every level. And uh, Axl Rose, Mike Patton, there's a few others that are on there that's just like, oh yeah, you guys are the ones who have the weird, weird voice. But anyway, we are back again with another edition of the Quarantine Mai Tai Happy Hour. I am with my wonderful co-host, as always, Hambone. It's me. I'm here. And uh, we have a great show for you today. Hambone, what do we have in store for all the lovely children? So we have a action-packed show tonight. We're going to talk about The Last of Us 2. Earlier in the year, you heard that The Last of Us 2 was getting its date shuffled around. Well, it's finally out. George is playing it, and I've watched the opening scene, so we've got plenty to say. We have the 45th anniversary of Jaws taking place in the year 2020. It was just recently last Friday, so a website called The Daily Jaws did a remake of it that they released on YouTube, and we've got plenty to say about that. Perry Mason, another show being brought back to life this time on HBO and taking place in the 30s. I've got a first look at that. And then finally, the big news this week is The Undertaker is finally taking that last ride. Undertaker's retiring, and we've got a lot to say. We've got some feelings on it. I, I felt like we should just at least have one wrestling topic that's not, like, horrible this week. I just yeah. thought, why not? I'm like, while the entire indie wrestling world burns to the ground, I'm like, hey, Undertaker's retiring. That's a good thing, right? So there's that. But uh, Hambone, I didn't send you a cocktail. Do you happen to have one for us today? I actually do. In honor of Perry Mason, because it does take place during Prohibition, I'm going to teach you how to make a Prohibition cocktail tonight. Perry Mason? Perry Mason takes place during the Prohibition? I had no idea. Well, this this version does. Ah, uh, okay. So okay. the HB the HBO version, the the Raymond Burr version, uh, takes place at a slightly different era. So here, uh, French seventy five is a prohibition cocktail, and it is one of the only gin cocktails that I've ever actually enjoyed. So this is one ounce of gin, a half ounce of fresh lemon juice, a half ounce of simple syrup, and three ounces of champagne or other sparkling wine but just go with the the cheapo champagne because you're mixing it with gin so who cares uh this is actually a very delightful cocktail you're just going to pour it directly into the glass the ingredients is not a shaking cocktail because obviously champagne's got a little bit of the bubbly and uh all the ingredients go into the glass 
strain it into a champagne flute, top of champagne, and garnish with a fresh lemon twist. These go down way too smooth. So I would recommend that if you have a few, switch over to something else because you will get loaded on the French 75. And if anybody could attest to that, it's Hambone. So <laughs> we appreciate the warning. We appreciate the warning. There's several weddings I don't remember because <laughs> of the French 75. But you made it to your Neil Diamond song before you blacked out. So it's, there's at least there's that. At least there's that. Listen, I am nothing but professional. So if I'm being told to sing Neil Diamond at your wedding, whether I'm three sheets to the wind or I haven't had to drop the drink, you're still getting the same hand bone showing up, and I'm going to bring down the house. I'll probably dance with your grandmother doing Diamond. Anyway, there's one thing we didn't talk about. We didn't say we were going to talk about, but we should mention it. You got the giant download on all the movies coming out. Like, There's a summer movie blockbuster summer thing happening that nobody told us about because movies are barely open. What are like? Are there any movies that maybe might actually hit theaters that you are excited about for this summer? You know what's funny about it? Because I got the article and, you know, I try to keep, when I read these articles, I try to keep it to news sources that I find to be reputable, like The Hollywood Reporter or Entertainment Weekly. Like, Entertainment Weekly is one of my go-tos for Hollywood news. You know, I I read this article. It came out on June 22nd. And I'm still thinking that this is a very big wait and see, like, Theoretically, these movies are going to come out. I'm going to go over some of the dates that got pushed. Uh, Black Widow has been pushed from May 1st to November the 6th. Not a summer blockbuster. (laughs) Not a summer blockbuster. Fast and Furious 9 pushed from the 22nd of 2020 to April 2nd, 2021. Not even this year. Wonder Woman has gotten pushed three times. So it's the 5th to the 14th, the 5th of June to the 14th of August to the 2nd of October. Candyman. Uh, which I am so excited for, uh, pushed until the 25th of September from the middle of June. Maverick has been pushed to Christmas. So Maverick was supposed to come out June 24th. It's now coming out December 23rd. Uh, The Purge, the next Purge movie, The Forever Purge, was supposed to be July 10th, and now they actually say nobody knows. Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is another thing. Wait, I got to pause you, which means that because The Purge comes out like every year or so, they weren't able to finish taping in time. That's why The Purge is probably like, well, if we can't do summer, we have to do Halloween. And if we can't do Halloween, it's coming out next year. Actually, the film is supposed to be done. This is a thing where with every other... Because look, The Purge movies don't exactly take cost a lot of money to make. You know, so you have other things where if they're going to shuffle something, they're not going to shuffle Ghostbusters Afterlife again, which probably cost a billion dollars. Uh, July 10th, by the way, to March 5th, 2021. So that's gotten pushed to next year. The Rock's Jungle Cruise, which is a very highly anticipated movie for the summer this year. Uh, July 24th, 2020 to July 30th, 2021. Obviously, I'm going to go with anything that's gotten pushed to next year. I'm pretty confident we are safe on it. Um, if there really is, as they say, a vaccine in the end of the year, we might see Maverick at Christmas in December 23rd. They also have to distribute this vaccine, though. That's the other thing. They could make it by the end of the year, but they actually have to distribute it and it has to not kill people. So I'm not confident in the things that are going to be coming out through September. Like October, maybe, I'm, I'm, I feel a little more apt to say like we might see Wonder Woman uh, 1984 on October 2nd. Um, you know, we might see Candyman on September 25th, but th- anything that's slated before that, 
you know, Black Widow, November 6th, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about it. However, all of this, I think it's card subject to change depending on what the summer movie season does, in fact, look like when they open up theaters. Like, I think that they're pretty much looking to open a lot of theaters in the middle of July. So depending on what July and August and very early September receipts are looking like is going to really dictate whether we actually get these movies in theaters this year or whether they get the push to next year or what is acceptable to put video on demand that they're not going to just lose their shirt from uh, putting it on demand. You know, I, th- I still think it's too soon to tell with these movies whether they're going to come out this year or not. So our summer movie blockbuster is October. <laughs> it's the fall. It's the summer and mo- summer in the fall. Uh, I, I'm I'm curious uh, again. I, it was interesting to see Alamo and AMC kind of go tit for tat this past week. We may or may not have talked about AMC's horrible word vomit uh, press release that they released, where they're just like, I I don't even know where they went with that. They gave a lot of details on how they're cleaning their seats, of which none of that makes me feel any better. And then Alamo was like, No, we're gonna make people wear masks unless you're eating. Which is just like, God, at this point, I would be like, just no eating in the theaters. Like, you could survive two hours without your popcorn. But I don't know. Again, I, until there's a vaccine, the chance of me going to a theater, it's going to be very slim. Very slim. That's the thing, man. I, you know, part of the movie-going experience for me is eating popcorn, get my pretzel nugs, my big Coke Zero. Uh, going to the Alamo. Like, I love going to the Alamo because I know I'm going to sit down. I'm going to have a killer meal. So I don't know if... The theater experience, which is already suffering because of the coronavirus, can withstand these companies being like, cool, but don't eat. And we're not saying that they're saying that, but, you know, in instances where, like, you got to wear a mask until you eat, like, I just I just don't know what the right move is uh, at this point. And again, I'm not setting foot in a theater until I'm vaccinated to do so, so... And the fact is, movie theaters, especially tight ones like AMC, unless you're in like a carousel setup, and even then, you're not six feet left and right. So there's got to be spaces between you. That's at least two seats, unless you're a couple. And then you have in front of you, carousel is, is probably the only one that has six feet. I know Alamo doesn't have six feet because they don't recline. I know AMC definitely does not have six feet between you and the person in front of you. So I, I, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I that I'm gonna wait and see what happens. It's too early to really talk you know it's, we, i can't armchair quarterback they're not open yet let's see what happens from people that do go um speaking of things that have been pushed we just found out i've been looking for i'm like what are we gonna it's been on the calendar but i don't know what uh handmaid's tale has been pushed to next year it looks like they were in the middle of shooting when the pandemic happened so they never had a chance to wrap up so handmaid's tale they're just going to move it into next year uh on another note uh, real quick before how people are like, God damn it, I just want to hear about Last of Us 2. We're going to make you wait for it, like Naughty Dog didn't. Because everything else on this show is probably going to be short. But you, YouTube announced no more scripted shows. I don't know what that means for their paid model. Uh, I always thought that that was the least, the one I had least interest in. But they're getting rid of their paid model. Immediately Netflix announces that they're picking up Cobra Kai. First two seasons and the third, so that's just breaking news today. And great because I don't want Cobra. I, I would not want Cobra Kai to die. And I also think Cobra Kai has not had the exposure it deserves because it's on like the least interesting of the on-demand platforms. Oh, it's it's it is rife for the taking for Netflix. I am telling you, when Cobra Kai actually hits Netflix and people really get to see it and experience, I mean, 
it's gold. It, it is it is going to be a gold mine for Netflix. It's definitely going to be in the top 10, if not number one, when it releases on Netflix. Mark my words on that. Yeah, the YouTube thing I thought was like, it took them a lot longer than I thought it was going to take them. Because, I mean, original programming is not YouTube's bread and butter, as in like YouTube themselves making original programming. Like the entire thing was built on other people making their programming and putting it on their putting it on their YouTube. So... I don't know. I, th- I think it's fine. I think that we, I want to say several episodes ago, it might have been like 40 episodes ago at this point, what is time anymore? You know, we always discuss like how many streaming services can there fucking possibly be? And I think that now more than ever, especially with the economy being what it is, we are going to start to see some of these other streaming services go to the wayside because they're just not going to be profitable. And also, there's not really going to be any way for them to keep up with the productions that are going to have to go into play because we lost essentially two full seasons of production time in Hollywood. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we might be getting back down to the model where there's like an HBO platform. There's a Disney platform. There's a Netflix platform. There's a Hulu platform. And that's, that's everything else is just going to get folded into those services. But I would like have to, to have you know that even with the quarantine and the pandemic and the lack of production being lit right now, there is not one hand bone. There is two 90-day fiancé spinoffs happening right now airing and a third that's coming very soon. That's like its own plague altogether. I don't even know. I don't, I don't understand. I have no idea how they're doing it. I, I actually was like, I told my wife, I'm like, wait a second, they're doing before the 90 day and or happily ever after, and they're doing, and they're doing the other way. I'm like, why would you blow your load knowing you're you're in a pandemic? She's like, because they probably know something we don't, which is they probably are still shooting. I don't know. This world's crazy. More importantly, Last of Us Two came out last Friday. Wow. 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 I mean, the level of stuff I, I've only pay, played about five hours. This is an early, early thoughts, non-spoiler will not spoil anything. Um, we'll be talking about things that are obvious from the get go, but this is a sequel to one of the most important games released in the last three decades. I mean, it is a game that truly hammered home what storytelling could be in a gaming platform, in a zombie apocalypse, uh, even though it is a viral apocalypse, a viral zombie apocalypse, not not like they eat each other's flesh and then turn into and turn into other zombies. It's a virus that you can get from being bitten, but it's it's definitely more of uh, kind of what we're going through right now. And this takes place years, I'd say maybe fifteen years or so. Uh, 15, I don't know, I, I could be wrong. It could be more than that into the future, maybe 20 years from when it happened. So this is a world that's become one with nature again. It is one of the most visually stunning games I've ever seen. I have a regular old PlayStation 4, the first one that came out. I do not have 4K, and I am looking at graphics that I have never seen before. And I'm not blown away often by graphics. And this is one where it's like, wow, I can stop and just look at things and be like, oh, look at my reflection in the window. It is so fucking realistic. And But from there, this game has been so sought after, so desired, so... Uh, I mean, people wonder if they should even do a sequel of it, but they did, and sadly... It has been molested by the 
by the anti what do you call them is it gamergate you know more about gaming than i do like who are these horrible people who are like just like anti-social justice warrior types who will shit on a game just because they don't like that the lead character is a gay girl shitheads that's what i would call them call them a bunch of shitheads so a couple weeks ago maybe a month ago we talked about it already a lot of footage of this game leaked and people got very upset off the bat. I mean, stuff was spoiled that I will not spoil, but people were very, very upset about a lot of things. Uh, there was a switch from the main character being uh, a white male. Uh, he's still in the game, but you switch to the girl that was following you, uh, Ellie, who is now, um, you know, she is a, an, a more adult. She is she's lesbian and I guess straight white guys really don't like the idea of playing a like lesbian woman as the main character in a game. I don't understand it because there's a period of time in the previous game as well as in the DLC where you play as her and I never thought anything of it. Like it's gameplay, it's a character. I love playing the princess in Mario. It makes in Mario too. I don't understand. Hambone, what are your thoughts on, on at least that portion of the the craziness? I'm excited to play as Ellie. I have not played this game yet because I have not gotten a paycheck since like the very beginning of March. So I can't be going out and spend 60 bucks on a video game. However, I've watched my buddy play it and it looks awesome. I love The Last of Us. And one of my favorite parts of Last of Us, the first one, was being able to play as Ellie. So I was really looking forward to actually getting in there and playing as Ellie. For me, it makes no difference what the avatar is that, that you're playing. As long as their story makes sense and is good and the gameplay is creative and fun, I could care less. So, like, for all those people that before the game came out, like, literally the game came out two hours later before stores even opened, it had, like, 17 gazillion negative reviews on Metacritic. It's got, like, a 98% positive on, like, critic reviews, 95%, something like that. But, like, the negative reviews... It has like three times more reviews than the first one did. And that's one of the most critically acclaimed games of all time. So it's clearly been bombed and it makes no sense. And it, I just wanted to get a little bit on my high horse here and just be like, if you are panning a game because you don't like the fact that you're the lead character is, is, a, is a lesbian, you're a piece of shit. And you shouldn't, don't deserve to be in the gaming community. Unfriend me. I don't care. That's just dumb because at the heart of it, and I am, I'm, you know, only a few hours in, this game is as good, if not better, than the original. It is very powerful. There is a, a, a critical point early in the game that strikes. It was the first time I was like, I, I actually had to put down the controller playing a video game, not because I was tired, but because I was emotionally drained. Have you gotten to that point yet? Uh, no, I've only seen the very beginning of it. I've seen the intro monologue with Joel, which I thought was like, I was watching it like, you know, I don't know, eight o'clock this morning and drinking a cup of coffee and I'm watching it and I'm like, well, this is, this is exactly why I got into this game. Like this is the, the kind of like emotional stakes and kind of the gravity that really kept me and I don't finish video games for those listening at home maybe you're kind of coming into the show a little later in the series I'm not really a video game guy I'm an RPG guy a tabletop RPG guy and for me to sit there and play a game from start screen to completion it takes a lot and it takes a lot 
to keep my attention. And this morning I'm watching it and I'm like, I need to leave because I kind of want to play this game at certain, a certain point. And I know if I didn't leave after like the first like 10 minutes into the game, I wasn't going to leave the couch and I would just end up watching my buddy play it. So it's going to be, it's going to be an experience. It's going to be a very, in some ways, emotionally draining experience because these stories that they tell are very heavy. Yeah. And, and the way they peel away, I mean, it's like an onion. It's like they peel away a story, but it's, you want to find out more. So it actually opens up, you're playing as two characters. You're playing as Ellie and you're playing as, as this other girl named Abby. And you don't really know what Abby's story is. And you don't know whether she's good or she's bad. There are things that happen that will upset you. You will be upset by this game. This is not a feel-good game. It's not a feel-bad game either because I find that there's enough quiet moments where you're not just running at the speed of light away from zombies where you can have a discussion with someone in the gameplay and, and just feel connected. And that's what's missing. Like I just finished the Bioshock series and I found, especially in infinite where one day we will finish reviewing that in infinite, you are moving so quickly that you can't stop to just look and enjoy the beauty and the art in the world that's created around you. In this game, they know when to bring it down. You're not constantly scared of a zombie around every corner. You can, you're on horseback for most of the first couple hours of gameplay. That, for me, is a huge thing because I don't know if you know this, Hambone, but do you know I am an avid horseback rider? You love the horsey games. Have you heard about me and the horsies? Oh, I know you love the horsies. So I, um, I, I, I actually do not horseback ride like a lot but anytime i get a chance to i will horseback ride and there is a great story of allison allison loves horses she has not spent she i think she's one of those people that if either of us were once rich it would have been nice she could like actually be an equestrian person but she never got that chance we were uh, too poor to ever have horses let alone like nice cars but um she the first chance i could to take her horseback riding i did and i think it was in costa rica and I took her out on excursion, and I had previously gone horseback riding on other excursions. And Allison was like, oh, my God, I'm kind of scared to hop on the horse. And I'm like, watch this. I threw my leg over, got on the horse, and just took the horse on an adventure. And that's because, you know why that is, Hambone? Because you're Greek. Because there's no horses in Greece, you idiot. It's because of Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> There's like sheep and like lambs, and that's like it in Greece. There's, I mean, there might be horses now, but there was no horses when like the gods of Olympus were like. Uh, there might be uh, the Pegasus. Don't hold me against that. I don't know. Was the Pegasus Greek? I, I have no idea. Didn't you ever see Clash of the Titans, bro? The Pegasus. But, but when I mount a steed, I feel right, <laughs> Hambone. I yeah. feel like like I was meant to be a horseback rider and just. You know, I, if I ever had the chance, like maybe it wasn't motorcycles I should have been straddling. It should be horses. But Allison was very much uh, that that solidified our relationship when she realized I could like take on a horse and make it do horse things. And and Red Dead Redemption, I mean, I can do it there, too. But this one has horses and 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 Skyrim, me and horses is a great thing in video games. Nothing turns on a woman more than knowing that in the apocalypse you'll never have to walk. So that's great. Even though, though yeah, but horses can get eaten 
So I get worried about that too. I mean, <laughs> horses can get devoured by zombies just like anyone else. So yeah. you're on a horse and you're doing horse stuff in the beginning. And that made me very happy. You're in the snow. You're in some, I don't know if you're in like Colorado. I can't quite figure out where you are, but you're in some like snowy type Denver area. I don't know. And, 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 you know, Things happen very quickly. Within the two and a, first two and a half hours of this game, you will be crying. I don't care if you're a grown-ass man. You will be crying. It is one of the most visually powerful games i played. One of the best stories, and I have gone nowhere near through much of this game. It does have the same mechanics of it's you and usually a partner following you around where you are exploring an environment, trying to get from point A to B. There's a little bit of scavenger hunting but uh, the dialogues you have with your partner are what really make the heart of this game. It's why this game is so much better than anything else out there, except for maybe like the Uncharted's. Oh, by the way, just so you know, Joel from uh, Joel from the Uncharted Joel from the game, the game guy Joel. Do you know he's also the like main character in Bioshock Infinite, he's also like one of the like main guys from the Uncharted 4. So whoever that guy is, I don't know his name, God bless, you've like made it in video games. When you're in that that star in that many blockbusters, like you are the voice actor. Isn't it Nolan North? I don't know his name. If you find it before I do, let me know. I don't know video game people. Like I don't quite know... Um, I don't know. I barely know actors in real life, let alone in video games. Uh, his name is Troy Baker. But he is, you know, that guy is set. I mean, I don't know if they get paid as well as actors do, but they should. Damn. Uh, but look, the game is great. It is really nice to see a strong, like, gay lead character. I mean, I don't think we've had that in video games. I can't think ever. Uh, and it doesn't matter. Like, it's not a thing. And that's what's more important. It's not like a gimmick. And 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 that's another thing that's great about it. But it's also, you were so invested in Ellie in the first game that, yes, her story is the one that continues because her she's the one. She's the one who, you know, might or might not have the cure to this inside of her because, you know, spoiler for the first game, she was bitten and didn't die. So that's what the crux is it's like she's the one that you truly care about and this is also a world where like anything can change it's the zombie apocalypse i wish walking dead would take more like more more cues from last of us but there is i don't think we talked about it last week but there is uh the hbo show that's been greenlit and ch the people who made chernobyl are making it which is crazy because that's like yeah absolutely i mean if there's ever a show that actually feels a lot like a Last of Us. I mean, Chernobyl is one of the most amazing television shows I've seen in recent years, and it's also a giant, like, head fuck. And it's real. Like, it's incredible. If you have not seen Chernobyl, please go see it. But they're making, that whole crew is making Last of Us, and I can't think of a better crew that isn't, like, uh, you know, I would not want to see this made by the people who made, like, Walking Dead or Outbreak. Oh, absolutely not. So I'm excited. This game is a game, first of all, ignore any fan reviews. They are horrible people. The Gamergate people in this world are just terrible human beings. And and just, I don't think you should even, I just can't. I'm hoping they're all like 14-year-old idiots. But I'm scared the thing is, I'm pretty sure they're, they're probably like. probably not. They're probably not. 
but there is nothing on this game that if you love the first game, this is more the same here. Um, you know, it's 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 very hard to find bullets. It's very hard to if you're playing this game on normal or higher, it's a challenging game because that's what it's like in a zombie apocalypse. There's not bullets around every corner. You have to be very careful. There's a lot of sneaking. Like, do you want to take on a pack of like really and oh my god, the, the zombie types in this game, much like the first, are terrifying. The clickers are the most terrifying zombies in the world. I agree. Just bloaters, all those. It's just a great game. Uh, we will have a final review when I finish it. I'm then gonna really need to dose on uh Paper Mario Origami in July when that comes out, because I'm gonna need a palate cleanser after this, after having done the entire Bioshock uh franchise. Sounds right. So anyway, highly recommend this. Please check it out. I, I actually want uh Hambone to give us like a weekly update of what he sees on George's TV. If you see anything on George's TV, if you're going to wait for you to play, you might have to wait until I just let you have mine when I'm done. That's a lot cheaper. And then we'll do it again. But, yeah, uh, cause I will play it. I didn't digitally download this. I really wanted the steel book and I did get the steel book, but awesome, awesome game. So what's the next thing we're gonna talk about? We talk about jaws next. Dude, it's the 45th anniversary of Jaws. Jaws was made in 1975, and although it is a movie that I watch, I, I, I probably watch Jaws like four times a year, easily. Easily, I Jaws will, if I'm not fully paying attention to it, I can have it on the background, and I can actually like get a full day's worth of work done with Jaws playing in the background. It is one of my favorite movies, and it's probably, I would dare say, arguably one of the greatest movies ever made like a true summer blockbuster like it changed the way that we look at summer blockbuster movies forever and this year is the 45th anniversary i actually am very upset we don't have a way to do calls on this because there's a couple people including matt giaquinto and my good friend chris mcnally who is like the biggest he's the biggest jaws fan i know he named his cats quentin brody he is that big of a fan i I wish we could have that. Maybe we'll have it, in, you know, once all this stuff clears up a little bit. But Jaws is is out. I was shot as the 45th anniversary. We've never talked about it. Uh, I we most recently saw it about two years ago in my backyard on the big blow up screen because our friend Josh, a uh, friend of the show, had never seen it in 45 years of its existence. He had never seen Jaws, and I gotta tell you, there are very few movies from that era, the 70s, mid to late 70s where it still holds up and it feels like quality cinema. Uh, Exorcist feels that way. Uh, I still feel that way about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But Jaws, as you said, carries this, this level of gravitas almost that makes it even more than a horror film. It makes it truly a great film. It's art. It is actual a perfect combination of high art and horror in the same, I want to say it, boat. Pun intended. Pun intended. It's in the same boat. I mean, this is a movie that cost $9 million to make, and it actually made four hundred and I'm sorry, $470 million globally. And this is in like 70s and 80s money. Not like today, forget about it. Today, if it had come out in the time where like, you know, you've got streaming and you've got everything else happening, I mean, it would have been even bigger. I, I would definitely argue that to the mat with anybody. So this movie is, this movie prints money. 
And, you know, to the point of our friend Josh having not seen it, what's funny about, you know, Josh having not seen the movie, like, he, you know, you know all the beats. You know, this movie is so well-loved and well-revered in so many different ways that, like, you know, you see the poster, you, 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 everyone knows what the poster looks like. And, and I know it's a broad generalization, but Jaws, you may not have seen it and actually have the word Jaws on it, but you've seen it riffed on six different ways from Sunday. You know, the jokes, whether they're appearing in a family guy or whether they're being alluded to in a TV series or even mall rats, like this is a cultural phenomenon. So it's almost as if he didn't even have to see the movie. He knows the movie. I, I love this movie so much because as many people know, I like slow build horror, but I also like movies without shock scares. And this is a movie where the main catalyst, the, the, the shark, isn't in the movie until like, what is it, like the final third of the movie? It's not even halfway. You'll see the fin. You'll hear the music. You'll see the after effects of what he's done. But you don't see this thing because at the end of the day, it's a shark. Sharks aren't that scary. No matter what you do, like sharks aren't that scary, especially in the mid seventies where it's like a gimmicked, you know, it's it's a, it's a electronic shark. It's it's a muppet. So for them, they realized that less is more. They really took that approach well. I feel they've done it better than anyone else has since. And I found that. On top of that, you had a monster, basically a monster movie with great acting too. And it's really, really good. I mean, even little things in it that I love to this day are, you know, like the mayor being opposed to closing down the beach because, I mean, it's the holiday weekend. And that's exactly what we're going through right now, except it's not a uh, shark that we're worried about killing us. Uh, it really holds up today. I mean, look, obviously the the characters, the the model, character models, the, the, the outfits, all that stuff is outdated. But the story is a fast-paced, really interesting uh, movie. But what what came out last week, our friend Matt tipped us off, is uh, – so I had never seen – this type of uh, filmmaking, is it called a Wii movie? It's called a Wii make. It's a Wii make. Please expound on this because I don't know what this is until I saw it. And I felt like I, I thought I was in a fever dream watching this. So what we make is is a fan shot movie, a tribute to one of the fans' favorite movies. But it's done in a way where it's pieced together by different people doing different scenes and turned into one feature-length movie that they'll upload on YouTube or YouTube or something or other. Uh, in this instance, it was over 100 Jaws fans from the United Kingdom, the United States, and India. Uh, they did this all during the COVID-19 lockdown, creating their own unique social distance fan-made version of Jaws. None of them have ever met, and the only thing that united them was their love of Jaws. And that is actually from a website called thedailyjaws.com, which is the website that put this into motion. And The Daily Jaws cut it all together into a full-length movie where, like, some people are doing their filming on TikTok. Some people are doing it with, like, action figures. Some people are recreating scenes in their backyard, in their swimming pools, in their fish tanks. So there is not one character who will appear in every scene in this movie. It's hundreds of fans from around the world, like, when they're going crazy during COVID, they did something pretty awesome. And you can actually find it on YouTube. You can go to the dailyjaws.com and just essentially rewatch the movie Jaws, but every scene is shot by different fans. I highly recommend you go see the original Jaws first. 
Yeah, oh my it's, God, yes. Especially if you haven't seen it before. I found this very jarring to watch because it is like different. Like some shots are from TikTok. Some things are horizontal. Some are If you have OCD and you're like me, it drove me bonkers. But I thought the creativity was crazy. I'm betting it's shot for shot pretty close to it. And, you know, some people are really acting. There's cartoons in there. It is so well done. But um, I, I just wanted to like make sure that like we I just wanted to touch on Jaws because Jaws Jaws is 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 something that it is a culture it's it's like the Godfather I mean it's like the Godfather of horror movies and I also feel that it's telling that and you can correct me if I'm wrong and I hope to God I'm not there's while there's been sequels there's never been a remake to Jaws right no there's not been a remake to Jaws and. To be quite honest, there should never have been a sequel made. It's a perfect movie. It ends. The movie's over. The story's over. Like, you, they didn't need to go back, and yet they went back three more times with diminishing returns. Because then the jaw, then the then the shark becomes bigger, and it becomes more of a monster. I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm pretty sure this this shark was like a great white shark, like a very large great white shark, and it was eating people because it had basically been pushed out of its natural environment and like was going after people. It had a bloodlust. I don't know what to tell you, but you don't even need to know. Like you don't even need. It just it's a shark. And it's menacing this seaside town. One thing that you said before that really stood out to me, and I think it really is telling of the quality of this movie and the kind of filmmaking they did, was like, you're not a fan of jump scares. Jaws is the anti-jump scare because the creature has its own theme that lets you know in advance, as a, as a, a viewer, the shark is coming. Like... I've ne- I'd never seen that before, and I'm not sure I've seen it again. Where it's almost scarier knowing that when you hear da 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 da, that like okay, it's about to be on. Now you're strapping in and you're trying to figure out how it's going to go down. Versus like a cat like knocking over like a can of beans on a shelf, and then like you know you're jumping and screaming like a child in a movie theater, and everyone's looking at you the wrong way. I don't I'm not saying that's happened to me often. But, you know, <laughs> there, d- doesn't Michael Myers have a theme music that plays when he comes around or am I misthinking? It's he does. He, Michael Myers does have a, a kind of a theme, but it's not the same. It's not it's not the like slow build like because that's the thing too. the the, the build of the music builds so slowly. It's like duh, duh, and you're kind of like waiting with your breath in between the pauses between the music and you're building and like you're you imagine yourself even floating in that water and you're kind of like you're doing the thing in your seat you are kind of looking over both shoulders like where's the shark like and you hear you know it's getting closer by the the beats and by the sound as it starts picking up it's crazy you know michael michael myers has a halloween theme and it does pop up from time to times but it's not like it is in jaws where you know, you're you're sitting there freaking out because you know the shark is coming. You know the killer is after you. It's not his entrance music. Exactly. Like, Jaws gets its own entrance music every time it's about to do some Jaws shit. So there was Jaws. There was Jaws 2. There was Jaws 3. There was, Jaws, there was Jaws the Revenge. And then there was Cruel Jaws. What? Uh, there's a Cruel Jaws. I, I don't know... Much more about it, except a crooked landowner organizes a hunt for a man-eating tiger shark terrorizing a resort town by William Snyder. Oh, that's not, that's not a real Jaws I movie. mean, it's called Jaws, and it's got Jaws on the front, and I'm just saying it's got the same font. That's all I know. That's all I know. And that's a ripoff, but yeah. 45 years later, Jaws is still awesome. Go check it out. 
but uh, a movie, a show that has had a resurgence. Perry Mason. I had no idea this was coming out. All I know about Perry Mason is, isn't it a a, a uh, an Ozzy Osbourne song? Yes, Ozzy Osbourne did write a song about Perry Mason, uh, which is awesome. And I always feel like it's a missed opportunity when they don't use it for shit like this. It's one of my favorite Ozzy Osbourne songs, like straight up. Great song. Oh, me too. Me too. Oh, hands down. It's awesome. So this Perry Mason is slightly different than your grandma's Perry Mason. Perry Mason uh, first hit the scene in the 50s, uh, Perry Mason pay, played by Raymond Burr. He was a master criminal defense attorney handling the most difficult cases in the aid of the innocent. Uh, so this is a kind of a reimagining of Perry Mason. It does not star Raymond Burr, obviously, because Raymond Burr is pretty dead at this point. But it, Perry Mason is now a down-on-his-luck detective after World War One in the Prohibition area, Los Angeles, and he's trying to solve the murder of a child. So I was like, oh, cool, man. This is going to be like Perry Mason. He's going to be like cool defense attorney, two-fisted defense attorney in the 30s, but he's just a, a down-on-his-luck uh, ex-military dude, private detective investigator guy. Is it a period piece? Like, does it feel like a period piece? Oh, yeah. They they did an exceptional job with the, the set design, the costuming, uh, just the feel. It feels like the 30s. And it also has, like, a very kind of sepia tone look to it where you know like the sepia tone where you're like oh it's portugal we're all falling in love but this is like the opposite side of it this is like the dirty side of it where you know he's got like egg on his tie which later he finds out is mustard because he's really down on his luck and uh i enjoyed it i did it's only eight episodes so this is a, a much shorter hbo series it's only eight episodes long it's going to be one mystery for the whole eight episodes uh, i like the guy who they got to play perry mason his name is matthew rise uh john lithgow was in it as well as uh, a lawyer that works with perry mason so i'm very interested to see the way it comes out it was very jarring in the very beginning of the episode because it does deal with the murder of a child uh, and police corruption because, I mean, peanut butter and jelly at this point in the 30s. And, uh, you know, I'm curious to see where it goes. I will do a little recap of it when we get to the end of the series in about seven more weeks. Wait, so Matthew Rice, uh, well-known actor in Americans, one of my favorite TV shows, one of the best endings of a TV show. I'm, I'm glad to see he's doing something uh, different, I guess. I mean... I mean, it's, he's not a commie spy, so this is different. I, I I love him. I think he's a great actor. Oh, he's a fantastic actor. And I know that, you know, The Americans was pretty high profile, but for him to be the lead in an HBO series, it is very high profile. I'll be curious to see how it plays out. I mean, this is the kind of series that I don't know if it's got legs to do multiple seasons because I, I tend to find HBO does that thing where, they're going to green light some stuff in between like some of their major things like the Sopranos or even like six feet under. And then there's some series that they don't make it as far as those series. This kind of feels like an HBO filler series, if that makes sense to you. I agree. And I disagree. I feel that this is not the HBO we knew. I feel before, because of HBO Max, they need more quality content. That's fair. So they might stretch it out just because they need something for HBO Max and you know, I will tell you, I, I we didn't really talk about HBO Max other than to make fun of the uh, Snyder Cut. <laughs> you know Adventure Time is on there, all 10 seasons of it. That's fantastic. If you have not seen Adventure Time, watch it with your families or watch it by yourself. You'll love it. 
I, I'm excited about that. I'm about to start back from the beginning because I don't know where I am. I got kind of lost after. I would watch it with Gabe when he was literally a newborn. And, you know, obviously he was only half paying attention because he'd be crying half the time. But I highly – highly like, forget Friends. Watch, watch Adventure Time. It's just – it gets so good after, like, season one. Like, once it gets – once it finds out that it can be weird and be okay to be weird, that show gets really, really good. Do you agree? Absolutely. 100%. It starts off really strong, and then it struggles to find its footing for about two seasons. But yeah, by season three, you are, you're locked and loaded. Yeah. Uh, Perry Mason, who do you recommend it for? Is this like people who like cop shows or just HBO-type dark stuff? Like, what, what, what do you recommend this for? If you like HBO-type dark stuff, if you like procedural detective stories, I think this is going to be for you. I think it's going to be right up your alley. Yeah, and and look, HBO's done a lot of really great stuff lately. Obviously, Watchmen very much in the, on the topic of discussion these days uh, because of the Tulsa Massacre, which is very much on the tip of everybody's tongues with everything going on in the world right now. Uh, if you have not watched Watchmen, you should. If you don't know much about the Tulsa Massacre, Watching a superhero show actually helps you stay informed. It's so weird. It's so strange because, you know, I think we talked about it when it first aired. I didn't even know about this uh, until I saw Watchmen. And and Watchmen, Watchmen is just such an incredible season that doesn't need a second series season. But we'll see where they go with that. I think it did so well that it might be forced to have a second season with or without yep. Lindelof. Uh, but one thing that did end finally, we talked about, we reviewed Undertaker Last Ride. We did a little review, as we're going to do right now, uh, of, of Undertaker's Last Ride about like 10 episodes or so ago, pre-COVID, because uh, they I didn't realize that it was a longer than three-episode season, mostly because they were dragging that shit out like one episode a month. And I was just not used to a documentary dropping that far out. Like, that's just kind of crazy. I thought Michael Jordan was a little weird with the two episodes a week for The Last Dance, but that was at least a weekly thing. The Undertaker, I'm like, how much longer are they going to pull this thing? Like, what content do they have? And, well, they they pulled it off. I mean, they ended up going from, again, this is a five-part documentary uh, varies in length, uh, about an hour fifteen to an hour to hour fifteen an episode, but it is the story of the last four four or so years of the Undertaker's career and him struggling to call it a day to p- put a period on his career. A man who doesn't need to drag out a career, no way around it. No matter how much alimony he has to pay, he is <laughs> like made the money. He's made the money. There's no way around it. And the fact is, based on how old his kids are, he probably doesn't have that much alimony to pay. So it doesn't really matter. But that dude is just can't stop because he wants that perfect finish. It's not like a Terry Funk thing where he can't get over the crowd heat. It's not like wrestlers who are just want that like either are broke like a Ric Flair or just can't the high of being in front of a crowd for Undertaker is more just having that swan song. And the fact is he might've missed it with the Brock Lesnar streak ending. He might've missed it with Shawn Michaels. He might've missed it. Like there were so many times where he could have ended it, but because either he had a surgery that made him feel better, like he could return or he had a shitty match that he didn't want to end on. And sadly in the last couple of years, he's had a string of, high-profile, like, historical matches that should have been his swan song, but because of his opponent, uh, Goldberg, or God knows, quite a few of them that just were not 
very good and and he had to chase after that one last great match and in this case he and then on top of that you have Vince McMahon who's like calling up saying like hey I need a favor and him not be able to say no to Vince McMahon you see a lot of the father son dynamic with Vince through this you have interviews with everybody from Steve Austin like everyone who's interviewed for this is like a list oh, there's yeah. no b list it is Austin it's Shawn Michaels it's Triple H it's Flair it's Batista i mean they bring out everybody but the rock for it and it is you know, Paul Bearer through old footage uh, is in this. Um, really, really great. Very, very similar to The Last Dance with Michael Jordan because it does follow a, a – I actually think it's a little better – it's even better done than The Last Dance because Last Dance was cutting between now and then so much that I didn't even know what year – especially as it was cutting between 98 and then prior to 98. So it wasn't even like today. It was like – right. Old and older, so much that it became a little jarring over 10 episodes. In this case, because it was more like just following today, but filling in some of his anecdotal history throughout, it was a very good biography, uh, as well as just the final chapters of a person who is straight up one of the greatest legends in, in wrestling history. And it ends... With basically, he's he's had his la- what he feels is his last match, which was an extreme rules and a tag match, which was short and sweet and really good. But he's like, that's it. And then AJ Styles basically forced him back to have one last match. He's like, I want to give you your last match. And and they talk about, and he's like, if anyone can do it, it's it's AJ Styles. And you know, I'm sure they have a lot of commonalities with religion and you know some of their. Uh, political beliefs a good fit both personally and professionally they you know he convinces them to do it and then obviously covid happened so it goes to today where you have a situation where like they have to have a a no fan wrestlemania in in an empty performance center but because they're able to turn it into a and we talked about it when we reviewed wrestlemania this this um cinematic style wrestling match it allowed him to wrestle a match that looked incredible went about a half hour and he was able to leave in a blaze of glory on a motorcycle with his symbol lit up before behind him on fire there's no better looking exit assuming he's okay with not having a last match in front of the fans but i think it actually makes it easier for him to say goodbye that way I think so too. I, I was thinking a lot about it because I, I did catch the end of it where he was like, yeah, it looks like, it looks like I'm riding off into the sunset, you know, unless Vince really needs me like, cause he will not say no to Vince. Like he's done. I honestly don't think he could have walked away if he heard those fans. Like I, I think it was such a tremendous ending for him. It was the powers of darkness. It was like all the, the mysticism behind the undertaker. And yet it was done you know, outside alone with just the crew and the people working, only the essential people who needed to be there. So he didn't hear 90,000 people crying for him not to go. You know, he, he got to kind of to to drown that out with the fact that there couldn't be people there to watch him say goodbye. And maybe that's kind of the best for the best. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. I thought the documentary was great. I loved seeing him with his family. I, I love the fact that he's he, that Kobe Bryant is one of the reasons why he's finally been like, look, you know, you could die tomorrow. And if you're just caring about work, you're missing out on so many things. And 
And I, I thought that was very poignant. I thought it was very powerful. And, you know, some of those shots in, at the end of the movie uh, or the documentary where he's just sitting uh, at the, whatever that lakefront property he has, like just in the, I think it's like the, the, the hunting blind that's probably like a million dollar hunting blind with his wife and kid. Um, it's just, it, it's a very strong thing to see. And it's really nice to see a wrestler end the, his career on his on his terms. Something that very few, like Shawn Michaels is basically it. I mean, yes, he had that match in Saudi Arabia that he did probably as a favor for Vince and probably because he's at the Performance Center every day, but Shawn didn't come back and made no qualms about making fun of that match. Um, Ric Flair ruined his 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 legacy by coming back to TNA and doing that horrible run. Anybody who's ever come back after retirement it's never good, unless it's a forced retirement. You have the Edge situation, but look, Edge is now injured because, you know, of various reasons. It's it's tough. It's tough. Not everyone can be Daniel Bryan, but Daniel, Daniel Bryan has age on his side. You know, he has youth on his side still. These are guys where you look at The Undertaker, and that is a man who's been through it all, and he's like 50, what, 5, 57? I mean, it's time. It's time. You don't want to become Ric Flair, and you've made your money. You've solidified your legacy. You're a first. I, I now honestly believe that that AJ Styles match was supposed to be his last match, and he is who was supposed to headline WrestleMania. This documentary has been in the works way before this, so I do believe that this would have ended leading up to, and that's probably why they stretched it out, was because of COVID. I bet it was going to lead to the Hall of Fame induction. Oh, 100%. 100% with you on that. And you know what? I'm glad that he got to go out on his own terms. I mean, we've been lamenting about The Undertaker for a few years now. And, you know, my thing was more of a concern because he was looking like he was injured and he was kind of fighting his way through it to try to have that last match. And, you know, for all intents and purposes, I know that there is a man beneath the gimmick. But, you know, when I hear, when I hear, when I hear the sound, you know, and you know it's happening. You know, the the hairs of my arms stand up. And I think it's almost more justice to him as a performer and to his character that he got to go out. Not in a traditional wrestling match. Like, here is the powers of darkness. Let me show you what we have. No, I completely get it. I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. If this is it, and I hope it is, like it should be. I mean, basically... You know, not to get weird or religion on whatever, but it's like basically God just told him, look, dude, you got to, uh, you know, it's time. <laughs> like, well, I'm shutting everything down. You got to you gotta call it a day. And, uh, you know, as someone who is, I mean, he is definitely very uh, of the religious bent. I mean, what do we call his wife? His wife's like the the G- superhero Jesus. I forgot what Allison calls her because she wears the crazy outfit. The, basically, she wears the Shawn Michaels type outfit. Uh with all the crosses on it. But look, I mean, it's like you have a young wife, you have young kids, you are, have had everything broken, every surgery you can have. You've left a legacy. You have your money. Enjoy it. There's so many things you could still do. There's no reason you can't put the outfit on and come out on a raw and just like do, you know, do, you could still do stuff and not have to wrestle a match. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, he could do the rock squash at Mania, where like the rock comes out in property match. He not he just rock bottoms people's elbow, dudes pinned fourteen seconds. Like, dude, he could just end up in the ring. He doesn't have to tombstone anyone. Just choke slam, whatever. People will lose their shit. Yeah, I mean that's it. And now you could still do like autograph signings, and you still can do like uh, I love that he does mention um he does mention Starcast and how he uh. How he got in trouble for that. He had no idea, supposedly, that was up against 
all out or all in and like you know, people were were very upset about him in the WWE. I actually enjoyed that they did say that. Oh, uh, by the way, is did, did you just say that when you hear that music, right. that that your hands right. hair stands up? Is is Keep this what you're referring to? Man. You know what time it is. <laughs> no, I'm not referring to that. Are you I'm sure? definitely not referring to that. My God, George. My God. I mean, I feel like this is what you're referring to. I'm certainly not referring to Limp Bizkit. Are, are your are your hairs standing up right now? Actually, they kind of are because I'm so like, ugh. It's like, it's like the, it's gross. I don't I'm, like it. I'm glad you were able to make out. I, too bad I couldn't like fast forward to the uh, <laughs> to the chorus. Hambone, great show. Thank you so much once again. Thank everybody else for uh, listening to us and uh, and and you know just being excited for the stuff we're excited about. We're still getting through it. We've hit. We've now surpassed our your hundred days. You're actually in the hundred plus days of uh, quarantine. Yeah. And I- you know, so, uh, what do you do? world's you know. opening up, I guess. I don't know. Diners and restaurants are going to be opening up soon. I uh, don't know how I feel about that. Folks, listen, just be cool. If you're going to go out there and you are going to cause a server or someone who's working in the service industry to put their life in danger to serve you brunch, have a little grace. Don't be a dick. Like, it's a lot more work and mental work now for people who work in the service industry to serve you eggs. So just be cool. Yeah, and, and tip well. Tip very Fucking well. Fucking tip well. <laughs> hey, Bone, how can the kids reach you? You can find me on Twitter at Hambreaker. I tweet about cute animals. I tweet about board games. I tweet about Dungeons and Dragons. You can also find my day-to-day adventures in podcasting and in life over on Instagram at John Hambone McGuire. And I'm going to say this because I'm very proud of it. If you were there on my Instagram today, you will see that I'm one year sober. So... I will still keep teaching you how to make drinks because I have the drinking problem and not you. But thank you to all my friends and family who are super supportive of me giving up alcohol. It's been great. I feel good. <laughs> uh, I am. You can reach me at GLK Creative on Instagram. You can re- reach me at GLK Creative on Twitter. I'm at cultofgeorge.com. That's where my blog is. MyTieTV.com is our entire collection of 160 blah, 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 episodes of my tie happy hour <laughs> of which uh, many of them are on video on our youtube channel which you can find by searching my name uh I, please rate review and subscribe we appreciate everything uh shoot us a dm shoot us an email if you want to hear something want to hear us talk about something want to be on the show once we uh once we uh get through this quarantine quarantine stuff we might be able to start doing interviews again. Anyway, Hambone, I am so excited to be here. I thank you all so much. Take us out. Everybody remember, be nice, especially to people in the service industry. Aloha. Did it be-